Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Welcome, everyone. If you, um, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series called The Songs of Jesus. And we've been looking at the various songs that were sung uh, during the Annunciation. You know, guys, we can wait for that until the end. Or we could do it now. Um, and so one of the things that we've been doing as a church is going through the various songs. We started with the, uh, the song when John uh, was conceived. And uh, we started with Elizabeth's song, with Mary's song, with the angel's song. And uh, last week... Sean did a great job in telling us about Simeon's song. And this morning, um, we look in the book of Matthew, and I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered up all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs and who will shepherd my people Israel, as Jazzy read a little earlier. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me that I may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and look, the star they had seen in the west went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. They opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. Should I change? Good? Okay. So over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at how this message of the Messiah being born is good news to the humble and the lowly. And Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus shows a massively different class of people that are affected by this announcement. I guess the first question I would have if, uh, if I was reading this for the first time is, why would they go to Herod's palace? Why would the Magi immediately think, I'm going to go to the person who ultimately ends up killing all the babies in order to make sure that, um, that Jesus has been killed? But the Magi didn't really know who or what specifically they were looking for. And for them, they went to Herod because they'd heard that the king of the Jews was was being born, and so where would you go if you heard that a king was being born? You would go to a palace. That's why they find themselves in Herod's palace. This is not good news for Herod because Herod is a despotic king. And so he gathers all of his people together and he says, now I want you to let me know when you find him, so that I may go and honor him. And we know, those of you that know the story, that is not the reason that he wants to know where Jesus is. 
he tries to eradicate Jesus. Who are these people? They've been called wise men, they've been called kings, the magi, but they are Gentiles, and they are from a privileged class. How do I know that? Because they have money and time to travel. That's what they're doing right now. They don't have farms that they need to take care of. They don't have goods that they need to make. They aren't trading for survival. They are part of a privileged class. And it's important to mention that because the message of the Messiah is not just good news for the lowly and the humble and the oppressed. The message of the Messiah is good news for all people everywhere. More importantly, there is no class or race or station of people for whom the birth of Jesus is not ultimately what they need. They may not recognize that, but it is true. Now, while it is true that oppressed and lowly and humble people um, are usually easier to recognize their need of a Savior, in our world, one of the things that is important with this passage is to recognize that Jesus has come for all. And all of us, whatever station in life we have, whatever status we have, we do not have a greater or lesser need of the Messiah. Ultimately, we all live in darkness and a light has shone on us. Now, what did they do? They brought gifts. And so we have a picture of how this happened early in the days. Just to be perfectly clear, these gifts are for your birthday and Christmas, is what one of the wise men said. I know, it's a dad joke. I think it's quite funny, you know. I know, because Grace's birthday was two days ago, right, Grace? And we have a number of friends whose birthdays are close to Christmas, and they want a separate present for their birthday and a separate present for Christmas, right? So what were these gifts? These gifts were gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so the other question that we're asking is, how wise are these guys anyway? Maybe it would have been better if we had three wise women, right? Because they would have brought diapers, food, and formula, right? Ultimately, if you're having a baby in a stable, wouldn't that be better to bring? Now, what... What did not happen is the Magi did not arrive on their camels and think, oh shoot, we forgot to buy something. Let's stop at the AMPM and see what we can buy. Oh, they only have gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, um, let's go with that. I also think whoever brought myrrh said to the guys, come on guys, let's just put all the gifts together and say it's from all of us, you know? <laughs> but what were these gifts about? Well, there's, there's two versions. The one is the symbolic version, and the fact is that gold was emblematic of Jesus' royalty, that myrrh was emblematic of his humanity, and ultimately myrrh was used as an embalming material, and so it was prophetic in terms of the death that he would die. And frankincense is an incense, and that is indicative of his divinity as it rises up. Uh, at that time, these gifts of frankincense and myrrh were worth as much, if not more, than the gold. And in fact, Isaiah, and we read from Isaiah as Jay-Z did such a great job, um, tells us that at Ju Jerusalem's restoration, that nations and kings will bring similar gifts. In Isaiah 60, verse 6, it says, They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news and the praises of the Lord. There's also a tradition that says there was a much more practical approach to these gifts. And the gold was used to pay for the stable and for the trip that they had to make to Egypt to escape Herod. That the uh, frankincense was used to perfume the stable, and you could understand why that was necessary. And that myrrh was used as an ointment for the newborn baby. Now, whatever 
approach you subscribe to. Ultimately, these gifts were given to honor and celebrate the birth of the king. And two days' time, we're giving gifts, right? The kids are super excited about that. And gift-giving and buying and receiving can be quite stressful. I know because when I'm arriving home and I'm seeing all these Amazon packages and I'm thinking, I wonder how much I spent on Christmas. <laughs> I'm also thinking, uh-oh, I got them all one gift. And there's a whole lot more packages here than I can uh, imagine what that's for. Karen makes a gift every year uh, for us. How's that for pressure, right? How are you going to compete with that? I think it's way more pressure both for the giver and the receiver for something like that. Now, none of us want to hear the dreaded repeat when you give a gift, right? Do you know what I mean? Oh, socks, right? Have you ever, have you ever given a gift and someone says, oh, and repeats that gift? That means you haven't won. That's what that means, right? How do you win? Well, you win by actually understanding and knowing that person and getting them what they need and what they want. Now, this is fraught with problems because part of the other issues that we have with gift giving is the unexpected gift. When someone that you didn't expect to give you a gift gives you a gift and now you're stuck. You're like, uh-oh, I didn't get them something. Let me go to the AMPM and get them a hot dog or something, right? Or someone gives you a gift and you realize that they have spent substantially more than you spent on their gift. So gift giving is fraught with a lot of problems. And unfortunately, I tend to look at gift giving as a competition. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Like if I win, like if I, if I really hit the spot, did I get them something that they really need and that they really want? Now this is also fraught with problems because if you gave me what I really needed, it would probably be a new membership and a Peloton bike, right? That's what I need. I don't know that that's really what I want. And so the challenge with us as human beings is we don't actually long for what we need. We long for what we want, but we don't long for what we need. And Isaiah the prophet who is speaking of Jesus says in chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the pitch dark land, light has dawned. We don't think we need light. We grope around in the darkness we bump into things and we blame God. Who put that there? Jesus didn't just bring light. Jesus is light. Jesus says he is the light of the world. Last week, Sean said that Jesus didn't just come and hand us a flashlight and say, good luck with that. Jesus came to be with us. We see everything through him. Jesus is the gift that we need and that we want. He is with us. He defeats the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. He comforts us. He strengthens us. He calms us. And it's when we recognize our darkness that we realize that Jesus fulfills the needs and wants that we have. Jesus is the gift that satisfies that. Because Isaiah continues in chapter 9, verse 6, and he says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. Wonderful Counselor 
is the first gift that we receive in the person of Jesus. Marvelous, extraordinary, unlike us. Isaiah himself says in, in chapter 55, he says, Your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Unlike anything we have ever encountered. A wonderful counselor is not just a listener. A counselor is someone who provides you with something. A counselor is someone who gives you direction when you're lost. A counselor is someone who gives you instruction when you're headed in the wrong way, when you're stuck or you can't see the wood for the trees. It gives us wisdom and clarity in times of confusion. If you're lost and you're traveling in one direction and someone stops you and says, Sean, where do you want to go? He says, I want to go to San Diego. He said, well, you're headed north. You should be headed south. Sean doesn't say, I don't want your advice. I just want you to listen to me. Sean will be happy because he's lost. He's going in the wrong direction. The problem with us is that we don't want a wonderful counselor. The gift we really want is a wonderful affirmer. A lot of us think we want truth, but what we really just want is affirmation of our choices. Mighty God, mighty, strong, valiant, brave, powerful. There's a sense of immediacy and breakthrough with this word, with this characteristic of God. This is an area where I think we've swayed uh, and swung on, on the one side rather than the other. There's the sense in which I don't know that we believe that God, in a single moment of breakthrough, can change something in your life radically, in that moment. And yes, we know that God is with us, Emmanuel, with us in our trials, in our persecutions, in our difficulties. But I think what's happened sometimes is that we don't have faith anymore that this is a God that raised people from the dead, that made blind people see. That in a moment, if we pray, God, I need breakthrough in this area, mighty God, I need you in this area, that we will see change in our lives. We don't really have an expectation that God can change things in a moment. We, we're happy with God being with us in the trial, and that's why we need the wonderful counselor. Because the wonderful counselor can help us access either mighty God or everlasting Father. A mighty God that'll break us out of a situation or an everlasting Father that is with us in the midst of our trial and tribulation. Eternal, everlasting Father. I know this can be hard for those, especially at this time, that have lost dads. I know this can be hard, especially at this time, where maybe your dad hasn't been a good father. But this is why eternal and everlasting is so important. Because he outlives your dad. He outlives you. Car and I are in a situation right now where we are making plans about caring about Karin's dad and my dad. We are that old, okay? We're making those plans. You know the most amazing thing about your eternal father? You do not have to care for him. He is your eternal father. It doesn't matter whether you're two or 90. He will be your eternal father. Your eternal Father gives you identity. I'm a son of the living God. He provides for you and He protects you like every good father does. Finally, He's our Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2 verse 14 to 17 says, Christ is our peace. 
Just like Sean reminded us last week, Christ didn't bring us peace. Christ is our peace. He's our Prince of Peace. He's the fountainhead from which peace flows. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With His body, He broke down the barrier of hatred and that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that He could create one new person out of two groups, thus making peace. He reconciled them both, Jews and Gentiles. So we have the Jewish shepherds, we have the Gentile um, wise men. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross. And when He came, He announced the good news of peace to those who were far away from God and to those who are near. Now the challenge is that we want peace without, with, we want peace without the authority and the kingdom of God. We expect to live our lives free of anxiety and free of fear. And the way that we have decided that we were going to accomplish that is we're going to control every aspect of our lives or we're just going to surrender. So we're either going to try and exert control over the dishwasher that won't work or we're going to say, whatever. It is what it is. My life is what it is. I'm just going to surrender to what it is. That is not how we live free from anxiety and fear. That's not how we live with true peace. The challenge, though, for us is there is a level of freedom and autonomy that we willingly give up if we say to Jesus, we want you to be our Prince of Peace, because there is a kingdom that we enter. And so I want you to picture this. In, in the old days, there was, there was a sense in which there was the castle and, and, uh, and a colony was established, and there were walls, and then there were people living outside. And when there was danger... All of the people would come in and they would be protected by the king, whether it was raiders or whether it was people, not, not raiders like charges raiders, but you know, whether it was raiders, ha ha, I know. Okay, so anyway, when there was danger, they would come in to the compound, the doors would close, and their freedom was limited. They had to stay in there if they wanted to be protected. And in Philippi, there was such a colony. This, there was this Roman compound where if there was danger, you would come within the walls of the compound and you'd be protected. And this is what Paul is talking about to the Philippian church when he talks about peace. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God or garrison or defend your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the same word that he would use for an army that would gather around the walls and place the sense of protection and defend you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God garrison and defend your heart, what you feel, and your mind, what you think in Christ Jesus, because he is our Prince of Peace. Band, you can come up. Remember I said earlier the challenge of reciprocity during a gift-giving time? You're like, I bought you a soap. And you gave me a gift card to Ruth's, Ruth's Chris. I don't know what to do with that, right? We're all in the sense of reciprocity. Now, the good news about the gift of Jesus is reciprocity is impossible. You cannot pay back Jesus for the free gift that he offers you. The even better news is this. He doesn't expect you to. 
because he's given himself wholly and completely for you to enjoy the sense of counsel, for you to enjoy the sense of the, the breakthrough God, for you to know the adoption and love of the Father, and for you to know peace. Romans 5 verse 15 says, but the free gift of Christ isn't like Adam's failure. If many people died through what one person did wrong, God's where many people died through what one person did wrong. So we know the story when Adam and Eve ate of the tree and they said to God, we're going to do things our way. We're not going to submit to your kingdom and sin entered the world. God's grace is multiplied even more for many people with the gift. What is the gift? Of the one person, Jesus Christ, that comes through grace. We can never afford this, and the good news is we can never pay it back, and we are never asked to. As a Christ follower this evening, maybe we need to freshly realign ourselves to the gift that we really need, which is the gift of the wonderful counselor. We need to stretch our faith maybe a little more this evening and actually say, God, I am going to trust you for breakthrough in a specific area, for you to do something supernatural in the way in which you did when you brought the kingdom. I need a fresh understanding of you as my father, a father who provides, a father who protects, where I need you, the source of all peace, to come and obliterate my anxiety and my fear. This evening we celebrate Jesus as our great free gift. We have counsel, we have breakthrough, we have adoption, and we have peace. And if you're visiting this evening and you don't know this Jesus, I would love to chat to you afterwards and have the privilege of seeing you accept this free gift of grace. Let's engage with a wonderful counselor, with a mighty God, with an everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's do that with him because he is also Emmanuel, God with us. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.